We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest story, the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. It's an episode and a story. Tonight's episode is a special one for a few reasons. First, usually I'm drinking a coffee, but I'm shaking up tonight, having some whiskey, uh, um, whiskey. And I'm also, second exciting reason, much, much more exciting than my drink choice, is I have Ari K with the secret unpronounceable last name <laughs> as my honored guest tonight. Before we jump in, Ari, do you want to tell me how to actually pronounce your last name? Yes, yes. For those who actually have, you know, Polish tongue, you can certainly say this as well. My name is Arik Szerzak. I'm pretty sure you know it if you're Polish, but if you don't know it, totally cool. You can call me Ari. All right. So Ari, let's jump right in. I'm excited to hear about your client car story tonight. For yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, when you reach out, Morgan, I definitely feel like I need to tell this story, right? Because I don't want all the other creatives out there or even agency owners out there experience the same thing. And we learn from one another, which is great, right? So essentially what happened is that I ended up working on a really fun project. It's actually a really fun project, to be honest with you. However, you know, we're going to get into this detail a bit later, but Essentially, it turned sour in the middle of the project. Things just got out of hand, out of control. And at the end of the day, the client isn't 100% happy. Me and my team was completely burned out. And we basically lost 30K on that project. Yikes. So jump to the end, although I knew it had to end badly this is client horror stories but yeah. you actually made an interesting comment i want to comment about how long that in the middle and that's actually the most painful point for something to go back because if you're starting something and it goes terribly in the beginning like yeah. like you can end it immediately okay the first yes. day was a disaster okay there's no second day so that's a funny story <laughs> not a client horror story on the other hand if things go great until the very end okay we had a great six years working together. We did great things, but then a nuclear bomb on the last day, but we have lots of happy memories and yeah. times for that. But it's this middle point is the, is the, um, is the point where it's mostly painful. And where I'll, I'll also add, not knowing this story, I'm excited to know the specifics is in the middle is when you get into the weeds of things. Mm-hmm. So it makes it, it's the hardest point to see clearly. So mm-hmm. that, so that's also where it's, where it would like, because it, it's so hard to remove yourself. Um, so Yes, I completely 100% agree with you on that one. And the thing is, if I look back now, right, of course, you can do a lot of different things differently now. But back then, I feel like we're just way too excited for the project, right? So essentially what happened, the client came to us with this very exciting project. And obviously, me and my team were just really 
excited to really bring in our own expertise, right? Because that's what they're looking for. What, they can, what kind of project yeah. is it without giving away any identity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's digital project. Think of, you know, um, things related to website, things related to application and things like that, right? So all things digital, essentially. Um, and yeah, I mean, for a lot of us creatives, when clients say, hey, we are definitely look up to you guys, the pros and the expert to help us in this project. I mean, who wouldn't want to get excited when client come to you that way? And we feel like, oh, yes, we finally get the client who understood our value, right? What we can bring in to the project. So I think, you know, it was definitely, I feel like that was the moment when I realized I shouldn't have such ego, right? But sometimes we do. Sometimes we do and we feel that in our bones and we just led that uh, particular ego rule us in every decision that we make. So, so that, that's actually an interesting point. I want to dive, dive into it because this is it's interesting. First, I want to observe that so many challenges in client, working with clients and life is about fighting your own ego and, yeah. uh, and, and, and controlling it and controlling yourself. And, um, and often that just comes with maturity and experience and learning yes. from horror stories <laughs> yes. um, like, um, like, like yours. So, uh, so, so the, 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 the ego fight is interesting. There's another interesting point about that, which is, I feel it's really interesting about how you just got too excited. And I think especially mm. if we're creative, like you and me, we, get, yeah. we, we do something with all our heart and we yes. jump in and we get so excited. And you know the old line, like the higher they fly, yeah. the harder they fall. But when you get so excited, it sets you up for uh, uh, for fight. Which, by the way, I want to point out, like one of the 30 episodes, this point hasn't come out before. So we haven't even heard the story yet. And we, yeah. already, have, we already have an interesting point. So, so I'm excited, which is yeah. getting too emotionally attached and emotional about what you want to. You want mm. to be thinking about the shower and, and coming up with crazy concepts and ideas. Yeah. That that just creates this massive emotional risk and makes it harder to see the situation clearly. Mm. You know, you brought up a really good point. Emotionally invested in the project, mm. right? Yes. Exactly that, to be honest with you. And you know, I was really happy with the work that we did, right? And our team, before we get to that middle part, was honestly seen as the great collaborator. But because we felt like, okay, the client is leaning on us to bring more ideas in and, you know, just really trying to engage more and we try to put in so much value into the project. And we forgot that technically this is already out of scope. But yeah, again, talking about your ego, right? Your ego is like, no, no, let's just run with this because I know they're going to love it. They're going to love it. And they're going to just like so over the moon with us. This is going to be great. I see. So, 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 so I like our backwards way of telling the story. Usually people will say, a happened and B then C, but it's more fun. It's kind of like yeah. one of those movies that begins in media stress and you have to figure it out. So, um, so you're engaged to do this creative work in a digital project and you and your team were so excited 
you didn't even realize that the scope creep really creeped up. And yeah. you say, oh, here's another idea. Here's more and more and more and more until, yeah. until you're going like massively overboard. Yeah. But, yeah. but at, first, at first it was fun because you're doing that at first because you're so excited and love and idea. So at first it wasn't a problem. What, mm. At what point did all the excitement and the extra time and work did at what point or what happened that made it click saying, uh-oh, we're yeah. too emotionally invested. Oh my God. Ooh, that's painful, Morgan. <laughs> but um, we only get a good story when, when, you, when you go into the pain. This is going to be a therapy that's session. That's my whiskey ready. <laughs> I wish I got a cocktail right now. But, um, you know, I started realizing that it has become such a big scope creep when they start giving us more screens to work on, right? Or more pages to work on. Because in the beginning, it was clear, X amount of pages, right? But then it become almost 10X of pages. 10X? So yes. you originally, like the original budget and plan was to use a made up number of something like 30 pages on the site. And it ended up being something like 300 pages. It's actually half of that. So it started off as 15. 15, and then okay. snowball into snowball to 150. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. that's uh, right. So that's like in more than an extra hundred pages, which designers know. Like a lot of work and care goes goes into each and every page. Yes, yes. and that's not even to, you know, start um, considering the other screens, right? When you work with all things digital, especially on the web. You got to think about all the other previews for devices like tablet and mobile. That's right. And often they're like a lot of screens you don't even think about. No one thinks, yeah. oh, we need a screen for the forgotten password. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the forgotten password. Someone else needs a screen. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was like at that point, I was like, hmm, what have we gotten ourselves into? Right. Like, I mean, it's really good work. And I almost felt like this is going to be a great portfolio for us. But on the other hand, we're like, how do we tell them that this is completely out of scope? Because it wasn't fully defined, right, in the beginning. So I can talk about takeaways at the, at the end later, but here's the thing about creating any sort of service or even like you know agreement with your client right have a clear agreement that dictates what is the engagement going to be all about without that it's going to be so easy for a client just like hey i thought about this let's do this or hey here's some another example what can you do with it okay so so that that's interesting advice and and a lot of people re recommend that. And what I found is that the challenge with that in real life is, is, is a few things. One, and it all comes back down to human nature, our, yeah. our nature and the client's nature, yeah. where often clients will say, oh, no, no, just do this one little thing, this one little thing, this one little thing. And sometimes it's malicious. Sometimes they're sophisticated, want to take advantage of the young newbie. But yeah. other times, like, like other times, it's more like out of, 
naivete or ignorance, and they don't even realize. No, the pastor, the pastor is clear. No, you just use a template. It'll take 10 seconds. And yeah. what they don't realize is 10 seconds add up, add up, um, uh, add up. And then on our side, even if the contract says, you know, only 15 pages and it's written and signed in blood, because you get so into it, we ourselves think, oh, no, no, no. I wanted to succeed. I'll just do the password forgotten page. It'll take 10 more seconds. And we yeah. forget that one page leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Which so so I think the challenge often isn't what is the exact contract say, but mm. how you go about finessing it as a um, as as the situation progresses. That's true. And I think this is also gonna comes with experience, comes with age yes. as well, right? I think the first few times you do it, you're going to be like, oh, it's okay. Let's be flexible. I've done that in the past as well. But when you then finally realize one big thing that happened in your client and project relationship, like any of the horror stories that you have, you have heard from you know, Morgan podcast, then you finally realize I can't do this anymore. I gotta be strict about it. It's not because we don't want to be, you know, good human, but it's honestly because our time worth specific amount of money for us, right? So if we actually are not respecting our own time, then who will? So I have learned that the hard way. And I honestly have to use, you know, time tracking to make sure that. I have X amount of hours for this project. If that goes beyond it, it's not my problem, right? It's going to be communicated directly to the client and it's going to be their choice whether or not we're going to keep going or if we're going to stop. Okay, so I have, this is interesting. So I have two comments on that. First, okay. I have one friend who's obsessive about time tracking, Brian, I if you're watching this, and he time tracks everything that's like nothing to do with client work even like how so he knows how long he goes to the gym and he's been doing it for like 15 years yeah and it's interesting if you time like usually people time track when it's hourly billing but if mm. it's not hourly, hourly billing people usually don't but what's interesting about your insight and the and brian's as well is even if you're not building the client hourly even if it's a fixed price you have to know for yourself yeah. are you putting 20 hours 40 hours 400 hours and it's often hard to, it's often very easy to lose track mm. of uh, yes. like not, I think I've been doing it 20 hours, but really 60 hours have gone by because, because you don't realize that all the 15 minutes add up. Yeah. But there's also like the difference between, you know, where it's like an hourly project rate, or is it like the, you know, value, value based pricing, right? It's definitely a little bit trickier to track value-based pricing uh, with your project because you technically don't need X amount of hours to track. Even if it's my, my brainstorm over, over whiskey is yeah. if it's hourly based, you have to track your hours. If it's, if mm. it's value-based, it's we usually, you don't track your hours, but it's interesting to think, you know, you should track it just for yourself. Because yes. because maybe even the client is only paying based on the value or the results, but it's a very different internal analysis for yourself or for your business, mm. whether in reality, no matter how you're getting paid, whether you spend 40 or 140 hours on it. 
Yes, you brought a really good point in there. And I would honestly would suggest anybody who do the value-based pricing to also track that time, right? Again, it's for your personal purposes, but also for your internal purposes. And if you do actually have employees under you with any of the value-based pricing for your projects, then you also need to track how much resources you are spending internally. Totally. Yeah. So... So I think this is good advice. By the way, and I, I love episodes where there's new advice that hasn't come up from time tracking. Time tracking for like non-time-based projects hasn't come up before, so I'm happy all listeners, excellent advice. Another thought inspired by what you're saying is um, is uh, is this, which is actually, I completely forgot what I was going to say, so I'll have some more whiskey. So <laughs> may, maybe maybe I'll, I'll remember in, um, in, uh, in, in five minutes. Okay. But, uh, or maybe after more whiskey, I'll forget even more. <laughs> um, so let's get back to the, uh, uh, to the story. So you, uh, so you had 15 pages, it snowballed into, um, into a hundred and 150 pages. And, um, and like, at what point, like how, when you told the client that, Hey, we've done 10 X more, how did that conversation go? And, um, and, and what happens? Yeah. You know, when we finally feel like this is it, right? We, we can't add more. And I don't think we can simply because our dev team then won't be able to execute it when it goes to code. Because the original agreement was to get the very, you know, MVP level of features to be out. Um, and while the majority of these can still be considered MVP, there's just a lot of like different um, added features within those MVP that we ended up implementing into the design. So we ended up talking to them and really just explaining what we think what we think should be the next step, right? Which is we gotta go to code like now. We can't delay this anymore. We can't tweak on this. We can't make more changes to this. We got to go to code. Um, and I think it took probably a couple more weeks until they finally are okay with that. Um, but at that point, honestly, I was from the design uh, point of view and my team in the design, we're just done, right? I just want to ship this to code. And then when our dev team finally takes it from our um, you know, design handoff, there was like very upset, to be honest, because it was like, this is not gonna be done in three or four months. Yeah, it was like quite a complex feature for the MVP. I see, so not only had the pages, got in 10x more but the underlying assumption of the pages made the code so much more complex so that yeah. so that that threw out the uh the developers time spell as well yes oh my goodness yes the plan that we originally have was to actually you know get everything done probably like about five to six months right from strategy and then for, no, not prototyping, strategy, and then um, wireframing, and then design, and then prototyping, and then development, and then demo, 
and then launch. All of those were supposed to be done between five to six months. It ended up going more than one year. Obviously, everybody was not happy. Thanks. Um, okay, so I remembered what I was going to say about five minutes ago, and it actually yeah. ties in to this exact last point of it taking much longer and and, and everyone being unhappy. Mm-hmm. So, so we're so we're talking about how do you tell the client when when they, when things are going bad, and we're saying, oh, a lot of people use the strategy of making sure the contract is rock solid and says fifteen yeah. years to do it. And I was saying a moment ago, my hesitation with that is, it's, is no matter what the legal contract says, just humans, it's mm-hmm. on both sides. It's hard to say that. And it's mm-hmm. hard. And and the client often, just often unwittingly, unknowingly, is like, oh, this and this and this. Here's, mm-hmm. here, here's how I do it. I, there are two things that I do that, um, that, really, that really help me solve that problem. So I'm saying this. You might do the same. Also, listeners, younger versions of me, I hope you find this. I wish someone had told me all these 15 years ago. Um, first, to use a high school debate term, I signpost. You know, signposting a high school debate is like, I have six points I want to make. The first point is this. The second point is this. Just, and like over like a six months project, I'll be yeah. like, okay, we're like, like with this many hours or this much time or this much budget, like we've used this much. And just getting into the rhythm of just giving these sorts, even if it's a, even if it's an informal update mm-hmm. of saying, "Hey, we, you know, we we've allocated 200 hours to the project, and and so far we've done 20, which is 10, percent and we're about 10 percent done. So it, so everything's looking good, even with those one sentence emails that are positive from the very beginning. Doing that with those simple positive ones in the beginning makes it really really easy. If you do that every two weeks." Then six weeks in, being like, hey guys, yellow, it's all it's all okay, but there's a little yellow flag because we're a little bit over. So yeah. uh, so that way when you do the red flag, when it starts going bad, it mm. um, everyone's already already emotionally prepared. Um, nice. So so that's one that's one strategy. The other strategy I use for now I really only do bigger projects, but when I um but but long ago I would do this only with the bigger projects and just yeah. never make the small projects. But something I do with my clients now and formerly with my big clients is once a month uh, we have an informal meeting. Usually I do it over alcohol. Now in the pandemic era, I usually do a virtual drink because doing having a drink changes how people think. So you can be more yeah. open and more relaxed. And I'll have a one month informal check-in. Hey, we're in both sides. Hey, we, we've been working together 30 days now. We're having a drink informally off the record. It's not being recorded. I'd love to get what you what you guys think of the team and where you think we can improve. And I want to let you know just, just how we're feeling. And just yeah. doing that helps solidify the relationship. But on top of that, in the informality and the regularity of that, there's a way where you can actually back channel and message these sorts of things to mm-hmm. like, some of the guys on my team are starting to get frustrated because because they are expecting the you know expecting this much and and we're already past that. Yeah, that's a good tip. Wow, thanks. Um, uh, f- uh, feel free to uh, uh, adopt it and uh, 
you, you need to start doing virtual whiskeys. <laughs> You'll do virtual whiskey. I'll do virtual cocktails. That, that sounds fun. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so this, so this project went massively over when, uh, when, when it, when it was going massively over, you told them and what I getting from, uh, from what you told them or my interpretation is that at first they kind of just expected the world for their flat fee. And then, yeah. uh, and, and so, so they were taken aback, but at some point they, at some point they just realized that you guys were basically, that you guys were basically emotionally done. So, um, so the big question, did they end up paying you everything? Did they give you and Do they pay you anymore? What, what happened? Oh. This is where that heartbreak's coming in. Um, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> what happened next? All right. So I need a drink. I need a drink to prepare. <laughs> well, you got you more. Go grab more drinks, Morgan, because it's gonna be good. Mainly because you know that residual invoice, right? We tend to send out before we do final handoff to our clients. Yes. And with this project being super late, so beyond the you know deadline that we originally included in the contract and everything, and we got pressured a lot from the client. To be honest, everybody in my team are at that point really, really stressed out and completely burned out from that project. And the client decided, no, I'm not going to pay the full fee. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, even though we deliver everything and beyond with the exception on late delivery, right? After all of that work, they said, nope, according to the contract, you guys didn't finish on time. So rather than having it to be, you know, taken to court and all that legal stuff, I was like, Okay, fine. What can you pay? So the residual, right? The, the other 50% that we should have gotten was only paid, what, maybe, I don't know, maybe 20% out of that. And I was like, wow. it, it left such a bad taste in our mouth. And I was like, you know what? We are not going to do this particular approach ever again. We are going to level up our process right and we will never ever go away from a very specific structure when accepting new project so tell us about the new structure that you implemented to help minimize this sort of risk in the future oh wise <laughs> okay before i share you know the structure these are three things that we basically get from this experience, right? Number one, there's lack of communication, right? It wasn't clear in the beginning what the client truly want. And we just like feel like, oh, I think I know what you mean. Is this it? How about this? What about this one? You're giving them more ideas for them to consume. And then when they get back to you, it ended up, you know, becoming as, this dictation, all right, now you guys give me ideas. Can we do all of this? So that so was in my opinion. So, well, so yeah? let's talk about 
the, okay. the challenge, so you're right. This is a huge problem. The challenge with this is this initial part of figuring out what they actually want in, mm. in the creative consulting world is, also, is often called the discovery phase. Yeah. That it's so essential and it's hard and it takes time, but clients never want to pay for it because it's not like you get a digital <laughs> web page. It's just figuring out all these yeah. abstract things. So, mm-hmm. so, the, uh, so the challenge is this thing takes time and is important and avoids problems, but but they but they, they don't want to pay for it. Is there a is, so is there a way that your process solves for that? Oh yes, yes. Let's go. I should have done this a long time ago, but hey, we finally learned, right? We finally learned that you should definitely charge for discovery and strategy. That's important. So you know, these days, unless it's a retainer, you know, program or project that we have with our client, any new custom project, everything starts with discovery and strategy with us because we need to figure out how much work, what are the scope. We don't let the client define these scopes because it will always go beyond what they think they need, right? So that's the big step that I would recommend everyone to do, especially if you deliver a lot of creative work, right? Don't rely from just the brief. Also have a discovery session with them to really fully understand where are they going with this particular campaign or this particular, you know, design work, digital work, whatever that might be. What do they see for their future from this project? That that, make, that makes sense. I think I've had a challenge of wanting people to pay for discovery and uh, and um, and not being able to. So or let's or or, or not wanting to. I wish I had the the right way to how to convince people uh, how mm-hmm. to convince clients to pay for it. I don't know the right strategy for that. Some techniques that I have used that that have been successful is is basically. I only work with people that I like, and if I like you, I'll have whiskey and I'll brainstorm with you. And I'm a brainstorm idea machine, so yeah. so I do that. I so I kind of enjoy doing it. So I'll do all that for free. But but I make clear over a few sessions, and it's also the same, and which which is not so not just I start brainstorming ideas, but it's also a way to get to know each other. But I make mm-hmm. super clear artifacts, documentation, the actual plan, all that only comes like once an engagement actually uh, actually starts otherwise it's like yeah. them just seeing that i'm a smart guy with lots of ideas to do that but uh, but the real value is taking these ideas turning them into artifacts and then the mm. artifacts uh you or someone else t- turning them into action so i'll say it differently 10 years ago i didn't appreciate the power of artifacts as much as i appreciate today yeah, it's interesting how you use the word artifacts. For us, it's pretty much the same thing, right? You're crafting this action plan, basically, right, for them. You're trying to really pinpoint what are the goals for the business? Where do they want to go? How can they get there? That's the biggest important thing that we realized was missing from, you know, this horror story that I was telling you, because we were just running with our guts, both us and the client. We didn't see it clearly. Where are we going with this? What's the plan? So um, 
till you really have that plan, you're going to go back to this, you know, loophole over and over again and get yourself in the same experience that's going to just keep you getting brought out. And the one thing that I start doing, Morgan, I know you talked about, you know, getting them um, with the booze and talk to them and do brainstorming and everything. I feel... I really, honestly, at this point, I'm really tired of people taking advantage of how kind we are, right? And at one point, honestly, me and my husband, because we're in the business together, we're just like, you know what? That's it. We are done being nice. Well, we, we still are nice, but I just feel like it's time for us to really put that tag for us. In terms of like, if you want to work with us, here's what needs to happen. We'll be more than happy to, you know, share all of our brilliant ideas out of the box, you know, solutions or whatnot, but you can't have them for free, right? And I think many people have this misconception like, yeah, creatives can give us a lot of ideas and they can only, you know, charge us with whatever that they truly create. It's like, no. Our thinking is literally the brain of our creativity. Without that, you might just get like a very cheap looking brochure or maybe like a good enough, any, you know, collateral design or whatnot. That's not what you want. You want something that can truly embody your brand, your business, and can truly create the conversion you need to hit your ROI. So, So that's interesting. My approach is slightly different, which, by the way, not worse, not better, not worse. Yeah. Everyone has a different approach and also as part of growing as a professional, yeah. you need to find not the right thing to do, but the right thing for you because everyone yes. has different personalities and, and, and so on. For, uh, for me, I want to live in a world where people will pay me for, uh, for my thinking and my brilliance that I am not sure that world exists, but what... I, the world that I have found exists is the world where I can come up with brilliant ideas, embody them in artifacts, documents, mm-hmm. plans, Google Docs, meeting notes. Here is this list of risk factors analysis, these, like, these things that we can talk about informally, but then codify in a formal way. And it's the codification, mm-hmm. the turning into an artifact yeah. is, um, is, is what, what I found convinces people uh, uh, can convinces people to be, even if the codification, the artifact, is kind of the same thing we were talking about. Yeah, like it's it's hard to get people to pay for a conversation, but it's um, but it's it's much easier when it's documented, codified in some in mm-hmm. some format. I agree. I hundred percent agree with you on that one. Okay, so three uh, three lessons. The first one is uh, is about. Um, making sure there's a clear contract and clear expectation and all the details. And they had a whole interesting analysis of that. What's your second one? I think basically the first one is the, you know, lack of communication, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, And the second one is that lack of expectation. I think it's almost sounds Mm -hmm. similar to communication, except what's really tricky Mm -hmm. about expectation is that, it has to come from both sides. When the client reviewing your contracts or your proposal or whatnot, those are coming from you as the creative, right? Whereas from you know, the client, they don't really voice out their own expectation of you. 
So I think in order for you to have a really good relationship between you and the client, as well as creating a successful project, having both understanding of what is it that we expect. So now we actually include that language into our contract. So we do have you know, a couple of lines that basically says we do not accept any you know, BS um, language or you know, very mean behavior towards us or our team member. Right. So we got to put that in there. And also we include a language where we specifically says that client input is definitely crucial to the project. However, it's not 100 percent necessary. So basically what we're saying there is that we value their input. But if they feel that they are relying a lot on our own knowledge and expertise, we're okay to just like lead with that and suggest them what we would think best for their project. So there's I, like this flexibility. Yeah. I have to send to clients this sort of expectations doc and it includes these sorts of points. Yeah. One expectation I always put into my expectations doc, which I'll suggest in case you don't do it, is communication hours. Like just make sure it's clear that at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, <laughs> unless like the house is burning down you're not around yeah that's that's a good call thank you for mentioning that you know for us we have a few set system to include those particular language we don't include that language in our contract or even on our onboarding actually yes we do on our onboarding documents so that's that one but there's also this you know separate setups where we include our work hours in our um email signature, right? If you don't have already, uh, include that in the bottom of your that's email. That's interesting. I never thought about putting it in your email signature until right now. Yes, yeah, it definitely helps. And the thing is, I encourage everybody to do this simply because it's not just for your clients, but it's also for you. So think about it. If you have written down your work hours and you're going to commit, it's like, I'm going to work for X hour to X hour. You've told your clients that, and you should embody that yourself too, because you need to have time for yourself, right? For you to do anything else outside of work, just to be creative and, you know, get that juices of creativity flowing in your head. But another way, thing, I, yeah, go ahead. Before your other thing, I just want to say, I didn't put it down, but I, I really like it. I like putting your work hours in the, um, in, in, in the email, and I really like your insight that you do that not for the client, not primarily for the client, but for yourself, because if it's at the footer of every single email you send out, it's this subconscious psychological reinforcement to you yourself that after 6 p.m. or whatever, like, uh, go go do do something else. I I like that. And what I'll add as a parenthetical is I'm a little bit obsessed with the um, project management tool Basecamp. I'm a total fanboy. So it's like yeah. project management, you can bring clients in, track it, and everything. Right? But the subtle feature that Basecamp has is on is on their app and their website. They let you tr- uh, configure uh, to turn off notifications in non-work hours, and you can define oh, work hours because you know usually tickets, clients send tickets or requests through the system at whatever hour they want, but you can <laughs> yeah. configure it. So even if they send you 20 requests in the middle of the night, you mm. don't get a notification or see it 
until 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Yes. Oh, I like that feature. I didn't even know that they had that. That's neat. Basecamp just made every subtle decision, right? And they have a lot of these Easter egg hidden little, little, little features. Uh, nice. Definitely. You, definitely yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. I was going to say something else. Oh, um, speaking of, you know, other things that we also set aside for our own system is to not have client have direct access to our personal phone number, right? So we have a dedicated line just for the business. So yes, they can call that within, you know, our business hours and somebody will pick up either it's me or my husband. But beyond that, it's not going to go to our personal, you know, phone or even texting and things like that. We're definitely not a big fan of texting, if anything, send it via email properly, or we have a specific, um, you know, email for taking support or tickets, like you mentioned earlier as well. Just separating these out is going to help you a lot because your mind will be already burdened with so many different things, right? But when you have things structured, like like you mentioned earlier, using Basecam for your project management system, it's very helpful. Or if you have a lot of like ticketing um, support and stuff like that, I would also recommend taking a look at either Freshdesk or even like, I think Zendesk too. So that's another way to also split your inbox so that you're not bombarded with just like a lot of the client information. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I like that these, these tools, these tools are important and these, and it's interesting that often with managing clients to avoid problems, often there isn't one big thing to do. It's this process, this tool being strict about this, being strict about this, being strict about this, all, yeah. all those add up. And on the one hand, it's annoying because you just need to be on top of all these variables. But what's good about that is it's often hard to be really strict on this one thing. But if you're just a bit stricter on this, a bit stricter on this, a bit stricter on this, then all of that adds up together. I agree. Yeah. Completely. And are you ready for my last tip? Let's do it. I'm going to take okay. a swig for it, the last <laughs> one. All right. So the last one will be to avoid, you know, having lack of system, right? We already talked a little bit about a few different ways where you can include your work hours or even like specific language and everything. But I'm mainly talking about a process that you would follow step by step. And then stick with that particular step. Earlier, we touched on having a discovery or strategy before having to work on the actual execution part of your project. So thinking back now, I should have had that always in the beginning, right? And now we do. But then what do we need after that? So having written down your own process in the way that you feel will be the most valuable for your clients, but also it's going to give you, you know, the most flexibility in order to control the project, what would that be? So for us, it looks like this. We have the client coming in with, to us, right? And then if everything is all good to go and they're ready to go to work with us, we will start with discovery and strategy. From there, like you mentioned earlier, Morgan, you would create this architect um, Name. What did you say earlier? Is it architect or plan? Oh, no. Artifact. Artifact. You know, oh my God. Something. You know, it's like, 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 you know, like when they excavate the pyramids and yes. Egypt, they find yes. buildings that you have an artifact of a civilization. Like everything is words and like, like yeah. most of what we do disappears and vanishes. 
the mm. people, Ozymandias, the people are long dead, the papers are gone. But yeah. from these ancient civilizations, we have, oh, here's this bowl that survived. Mm. You know, yes. here's this tablet that's inscribed. And yeah. those are the artifacts of ancient civilizations. And I think it's useful to think about creating artifacts in that same sort of way. I'll, mm. My engagement will finish. I'll be gone doing something else, <laughs> having fun, but and well, drinks with brilliant ideas. But yeah. what stays around and what I think is valuable is the artifact. Here's mm. the risk analysis, the plan, the, the, yes. uh, and, uh, and, and the, these very specific, clear, clear and strong, uh, strong documents. Yes. And I was actually going to touch on that exactly. So thank you for clarifying that. So um, going back, right. So you have that discovery and strategy and you ended up just with this particular solid plan, essentially, that you're going to share with your clients and walk through it with them to be on the same page. This is what we found out. These are the options that we can do for your business, right? So we typically would share like three options, you know, um, small, medium, or large options, right? And depending on how fast they want to go, how much, you know, investment they have to pour into that project, they would pick one out of that three projects. So, I mean, project options, sorry. So from there, then we will do the actual project. So depending on small, you know, medium or large choice that they have, we will do them and we have the control over what's going to go in there because everything is already laid out in the plan, right? So we will use the plan as our main guide to execute the project. Now, the thing is about any project, really, there's always going to be some changes or there's going to be like something that you ended up finding out that you didn't find out previously. And that is okay. However, though, you still need to control how big of the size of that change, right? You don't want to go back to those like burnout phases and experience anymore, but at least you know how to be flexible enough, right? Consistently on being flexible enough, not over flexible to be able to, you know, communicate it with the client and also get on the same page. If it needs to be bigger than what it's supposed to be, you're going to have to talk about extra budget. Right. And there's going to have to be an agreement between the two before you execute those particular adjustments. And then, yeah, from there, I, I, I feel like, you know, whenever we do this specific process, everything runs smoothly, to be honest with you. So knock on wood, this is going to be our like, you know, our big guide to help us avoid any more burnout in the future. Yeah, I, I think. Um, this is good. It's uh, similar to how I, how I approach things and how I do things. So, of course, I think it. I'll add that one of the challenge that I think as companies mature, it's mm-hmm. natural to have more uh, more processes, and um, and something that I like to do is we even have our base camp. We even have like a weekly question: What processes? And I ask everyone on the team: What processes have you improved every week? By the way, base camp to two they're on. Also let you ask everyone a question at any regular rhythm. And for yeah. like these interesting thought-provoking ones, it's uh, uh um, it, it can it can be useful where I always focus on improving our processes. And it and it challenges often companies. I've seen far too many companies say, Oh yeah, we do 
discovery, then we turn that into the plan, then we execute, then we measure the results, then we share the results. And, and what happens is over time, people change, the way you do things change, it's more sophisticated. Oh no, it's actually not this linear list, it's actually cyclical. Because once you get data, you want to go back, but yeah. everyone kind of just like sticks with their old process and their old process diagrams or doesn't train the new people in thinking about it or, mm-hmm. or new people are trained just by reading documents, but whoever really learned anything by reading a document. So, um, so, so the process theory is great and, 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 all, and a lot of the challenges is just is making it smooth and the development is in the details of real life. Yeah, yeah. And you also brought a really good point there around you know, when the business mature, things change, right? Things need to be adapt to a new situation or new processes and things like that. But I also feel like at least you have the bare bone of the process, right? As long as you have that, you can go and run with it in the next five or even to 10 years and slowly adapting it bit by bit. Because as you start growing your company, maybe the scope of work will change most of the time. Or maybe, honestly, there are new methodology that you need to adapt to for the, uh, for the project or your own process. So I think there's definitely a lot more room for improvement. And I think we always need to stay flexible for that, but to still have like the bare bone of what is your process that you need to hone in. That's, I think, still very critical. By the way, I, I, I strongly agree with that the way I would phrase that same point or the same point of Morgan language is a little bit of process goes a long way. Like even if they're just four kind of general steps, Mm. it's like light years that you're 80% there light years ahead of you and me 15 years ago where, where we're kind of just saying, Oh, okay. I think this is ready. Now I'm going to kind of do this. So, uh, uh, and I, and I think it's, it's hard for a lot of people to accept kind of like, just mm. barely good enough processes or barely good enough documents, but it, it, it gets you so far. I agree. Yeah, man, this, I wish <laughs> I have all of this before. I... Uh, so I think for your next project, you should invent a time machine. <laughs> invent a time machine, then show this podcast to you yourself 10 years earlier. And I'll show oh, yeah. That will be so helpful to be honest with you. But hey, we yeah. all learn from our mistakes and then share with others for their benefit, right? And the the whole goal of this uh, of, of the podcast is to share these sorts of lessons with younger versions of, of, of ourselves. Because I think for you and me today, it's obvious a little bit of process goes a long way, but yeah. you and me a decade ago, it was not obvious in any way whatsoever. Oh, no, yeah. I'll just go and tweak these campaigns, change this, change this, change this. And like, like you, like you, you, you think you can wing it mm. and, and yeah. just that, that sort of structure and, and a lot of you and, and that, and just getting this in writing and this, and, 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 uh, and the informal check-ins, these just really little things really turn a client heart story into magic. Yeah. Live happily ever after. I like that. Oh, I like a that. great way to end the podcast. Any final thoughts or wisdom you, uh, you want to share in addition to all your awesome wisdom tonight? Yes. You know, I've taken for granted 
business operation, design operation, you know, development operation, anything related with operation. You should go out there and get some resources around this, especially if you're still on the early stage. Because like what we already touched on this, right? A little process bit by bit goes along the way. And the sooner you get these resources, the easier your life's going to be down the road. When you see, you know, crazy clients coming your way, you know what to do. Um, or when you see like scope creep happening, you know what to do. So don't wait. You know, the excellent wisdom to a small comment on that and then uh, a wrap up comment on that. My small, um, my small comment is process is also a good defensive mechanism. The mm. client says, hey, why don't you just do this? You say, no, our policy is that we do da, 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 da. No, we follow this process. So it's kind of like, not it's, it's not my fault i want to do more for you but this is the process so it's also this powerful defense mechanism the other point is i think it's interesting steve jobs most valuable company in the world steve jobs built it genius and then after he died or disappeared or whatever story you believe happened to him who took over tim cook the ceo the head of operations and and i think it's an important metaphor that mm. CEO took over and not Johnny Ive, not the designer, not the cool kids, the boring person that figured out every little detail that makes it work. Like in yes. because to make something run awesomely, it's all about operations and mm -hmm. especially creatives like you and me are like, no, no, the hard part is the creative stuff. You just get someone to put gas in the engine and it works. And sadly, mm -hmm. <laughs> And sadly, it's uh, it's it's possibly even we could make the argument that the gas engines, the engineers, run the world, and oh yeah, we're like we're just some creators with, with some crowns that trust some nice pictures. <laughs> I like that. You know what I also like about what you just said. And now after this, we can wrap up, of course. But yeah. the policies you mentioned policies, right? Because it is so true. These policies are going to be your defenses sorry, defensive mechanism. They protect you from any other weird requests coming from your clients. Hey, can I call you in the middle of the night? It's like, no, you can't. My policies clearly state that you cannot do that, right? Um, so thank you for mentioning that. That completely slipped my mind. It's a great advice. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to remind you and, and, and all, all, all the listeners. And of course, as much as I love these things, we need to be careful of taking them to the extreme. And this is how bureaucracies happen. What are bureaucracies? If not, oh, I'm happy to work with you. Here's my thousand page manual with every little policy that, and then, uh, and then th and that's when actually things become like sclerotic and mm. really slow. So too much, so too much policies and processes is, 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 is actually what, um, what, what kills companies. And the challenge of every growing company is to find the right balance. And like we were saying before, the right balance often emanates from the founders and who yeah. they are. Some people are just more like this, some like that. Some people are naturally more structured like that. Some, some are wilder like that. And, and, every, and every company needs to find, needs to find this, this balance that, that works for them. I agree. Thank you, Warren. And on that note, it's been great talking to you. 
getting to uh, getting to know you a surprising large amount of uh, of wisdom that hasn't come out in uh, in previous episodes that's come out tonight. So I'm I, I, I'm I'm happy to talk to an, a, a philosopher like yourself. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. And thank you everyone who made it to the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and you drank as much whiskey as I did. Woo!